Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning, guys. Do you good? Something to share that ties in together, but there was this thing that God's been really sh- talking to me about. Um, so this might not be quite as polished put together as maybe sometimes when I share some of it. It's really in my heart, and I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's something for where kind of Maybe some people are right now. That will really help. Um, God, I just thank you that 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 our ears are open to hear. God, that my ears are open to hear you. And that our minds, um, that we receive, that we can understand and comprehend the things that you speak to us, God. And our, our hearts would be would be good soil, God, that when the seed of your word goes into our hearts, it produces fruit, it brings forth life, and it produces something in us, God, that our lives are changed because of your word, because of who you are, and because of who you've called us to be. God, that it's not just something that we said a prayer one time, God, but it's a life that we live following you, being constantly, continually transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. God, that we look more like him today than we did yesterday. And that tomorrow we'll look more like you than we do today. I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You open your Bibles up to John chapter 15. We're going to start there, but we're going to move over to the Old Testament. I, um, I love taking things from the Old Testament and the New Testament, kind of, lining them up, I feel like it's really important that we make sure that we know why we believe what we believe. We don't just pick a scripture that's convenient, pick a scripture that we want to, to hold on to or take something and, and force it into a context maybe because it suits what we want or what we feel or makes us you know comfortable, but that we actually take the word of God and we say, okay, God, what does your word say about this in general in total? And, and, and sometimes you, you may have times, uh, just being honest, where you have you might have 20 verses that say one thing, and then you have this one verse over here that seems to say something different. And it's okay to say, I don't know what that means. It's okay to say, you know, I know clearly what all this means. I'm not really sure what that means. But, but what, you, what we got to be careful we don't do is we've got to be careful that we don't allow what we don't understand to shipwreck and destroy what we do understand. Or that we don't make a theology based on one verse when so many verses seem to contradict it, but that we take the whole of God's word, the whole of the scripture, and we say, this is what God has declared. And so over and over again, God has said this. I'm not really sure about that one right there. God hasn't given me revelation, whatever the case might be. But, but I'm not going to allow this one verse that I'm not sure about to, to, to destroy or to tear me from all these verses that I do. And so, um, I, you know, because because what happens if we're not careful is sometimes we'll be tempted to make a theology out of something, or 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 make what we believe based on something that's been said, or or is an idea that we've heard, or even is something we've experienced, and it could contradict maybe what God says in His Word. And sometimes these things become popular in church. Sometimes there's these sayings, and you'll start hearing them in the mouths of people over and over again, and and in certain cultures, certain churches, uh, certain times of of our seasons, you start hearing these things come up, and everybody's using it, and and pretty soon we hear it so often that it just starts to become something that we believe, and we just take it like it's the gospel, when it's anything but good news. Remember, the gospel means good news. 
it's not good news, it's not the gospel. There's, there's a meaning to the gospel. You know, when you say, well, you know, it's, it's not like it's the gospel or something like that. You know, we've taken that to mean it's not like it's true. But the gospel doesn't just mean truth. It actually means good news. There's a definition. It's, it's self-contained within the actual word itself of what the gospel is. And you know, sometimes, um, so Jesus is talking, John chapter 15. This is a famous verse. Everybody's heard these verses probably over and over again. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive today, Father, that as we, as we read it, as we speak from it, as we talk about it, that it's spirit and life. God, that it would just never become this academic thing that we study as just another subject, God, but that it would be life to us. And God, that when, when what we feel or experience or know ever comes into clash with what you've said in your word, that we would always bend our knee and that everything would bow to your word. Even if that means we have to say, I'm, I'm not sure or I don't know. In Jesus' name, amen. Because the truth of the matter is, is there may be times where something you've experienced in life doesn't line up with what you've, ex- what you've read in the Word. And so rather than making what you've experienced the gospel and, and disregarding what it says in the Word, the best thing we can do is say, you know, I'm not really sure about this, but I know what His Word says. And so there's something here maybe that I don't understand, but I'm not going to throw away what He clearly says in His Word because something I've experienced or something somebody told me or something I've seen would contradict what I clearly know that God has spoken in His Word. Because we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, what is unseen is eternal. His word is an eternal word. And so sometimes there's things that are outside of our ability to understand in the moment. And what we can be tempted to do in those times is to reduce the word of God to our experience or to our level of understanding. The problem is, is that the word says that in all our ways we should lean not in our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. Lean not in our own understanding, but in all our ways. In other words, not lean on what I understand or what I've experienced, but acknowledge him and say, God, I know this is what I think or this is what I feel like I've seen, but God, this is what you say in your word. And I'm going to stay here until you speak. I'm not going to move off this place because I'm not going to take what I believe and make it bend to experience. I'm going to take my experience and make it bend and bow its knee to your word. And so sometimes we talk about things in church and it just becomes something we say. And so, you know, there, there's different things that you, you know, we've heard different times where, you know, people would say stuff like, well, you know, we're, we're, I'm just human. And we'll take that as an excuse to live less than where Jesus died for us to live. Well, you know, we're only human. And so we'll talk about Jesus, but then we talk about ourselves and we say, well, you know, I'm only human. But then Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, he says, why are you acting like mere humans? In other words, there was a time where that excuse was valid, but you were born again. You were filled with the spirit of God. You're no longer just a mere human. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and there's an expectation that your life would be different now than it was then. 
that, that when all things passed away and everything became new, that the way you live as a new creation would look different than the way you lived before the Spirit of God came and took up residence inside of you. There was a time when the Spirit of this world lived in you, where your, where your thoughts and, and your actions and everything was controlled by you, yourself. You were on the throne of your life, but now you've yielded your life. And you've made him king. You've made him Lord. You've made him Savior. And his spirit has come to live inside of you. And so Paul's looking at this church. And he's saying, you guys, you're, you're, there's jealousy going on. And there's strife. And there's envy. And there's all these things. That's, that's human. Why are you guys acting? And notice he doesn't say, why are you guys mere humans? He says, why are you acting like mere humans? Because now that you're born again, you're no longer just a mere human. But you can act like one. To act is to play a part that you actually aren't. Like, we're not sending Kiefer Sutherland over to the Middle East to try to solve problems because he's really not that guy. He just acts like one on TV. Jack Bauer's not real. <laughs> I could ruin some other stuff for you, too. <laughs> but he's an actor playing a part, but it's not really who he is. When someone who's born again is acting that way, they're playing a part that is no longer who they really are. They may look like it. They may look mere human. They may act mere human. But it doesn't change the fact that they no longer are. And that's no longer a valid excuse. But yet that's something that just comes out of our mouths so easily. We give ourselves permission. Or we, we start calling people things that they're not. So, so we call Peter Saint Peter. Do you know Peter never said, call me a saint? You know, Paul said that you're all saints. So it's okay to call Saint Peter St. Peter, as long as we call St. Jeff, St. Jeff, St. Candace. But what happens is, is we reserve that word saint for in front of people that we read about whose lives were, were amazing in the Bible. And, and, and if we're not careful, we make stained glass windows about them, and, and we, we name churches after them. And, and, but, but the problem with that is, is this. They never said, name churches after me. They never said, make stained glass windows with my image in them. Peter, when he's writing to us, said to those who have attained a faith like ours. He was actually being very careful to make sure we understood there's nothing special about me. I don't have something that you don't have. You know, we'll say, well, yeah, but that was them. You know, that, that was for, for those people, or that was for Peter. Yeah, but Peter looked at you and looked at me when he wrote this letter to the church by the Holy Spirit and said, to those who have attained a faith like ours. Peter was the one, remember, who walked on water. Peter was the one who said and they would bring their sick and lay them on the sidewalk so that his shadow might pass over them and they would be healed. And you notice Peter didn't say, well, that's because I have the shadow anointing. And if you would like it, you can come to my conference for just $49.99 early word registration. No, I'm not, I'm not against you know, people who earn their living by preaching the gospel, the Bible talks about that. That's good. I do that. But what we have to be careful about is that we don't feel like we have something that gives us the ability to then charge people for them to receive. Because in doing so, we pass up the principle that Jesus gave where he said, freely you've received, now freely give. We also put ourselves in jeopardy because one of the things we do, and someone, you need to hear this, listen to me. You may have worked for something as far as spent time to receive it, but it came to you freely by the Holy Spirit. And you've been instructed to freely give, now free, or freely receive, now freely give. And the problem is Jesus said, with the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. So if you make people pay for something that was a gift that was given to you by the Lord, what you're doing is you're saying, the way that I want things measured to me is I want to pay for everything that I receive. Because with the measure that you measure, it's measured to you. 
And I promise you, you would much rather have what God freely gives through grace and mercy than what you could earn through works and striving. I promise you. So just, we got to be really careful about these things because sometimes, you know, things just happen and they become part of church culture and they become something we talk about and they become accepted. And people, the Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. In other words, my people, Christians, his people, not unbelievers. It's so easy if that verse says, you know, the unbelieving as far as not born again, perish because of their lack of knowledge, we could write that off. Well, he's talking about people that don't know who Jesus is. They die because they don't understand he's true life. But he says, my people, meaning what? People that know me, that are born again, they're perishing. And that word perish means there's destruction, lack, and loss. People that know me are having things destroyed, taken from them, and they're losing things because of the lack of knowledge. And sometimes we don't understand that there's not something out there that we're missing as much as there's something out there that maybe we don't know or we don't understand or we don't believe that we already do know. Like Peter says, you guys have the same faith as us, but yet Peter did things that I haven't done yet in my life. Does that mean that Peter had a special anointing that I don't have that I need to beg God for? Or does it mean that Peter maybe stepped out in faith more often than I have and believed God because of what he saw every time he stepped out? And so he walked in a higher level of things than I've walked in, but not because God gave him something that he won't give me. He's not a respecter of persons. The Bible says that, right? That doesn't mean he gives everybody the same thing because the same God who said he's not a respecter of persons also said that he is the one who rewards those who diligently seek him. So what does that mean if those two statements are true other than this? It means that everybody has equal opportunity to seek the Lord and receive from him the things that he's offered and promised. If I, if, if I was a father, tell my kids, listen, any of you, either of you, I have two children, if I said to them, if you wives want 10 bucks a week, keep your rooms clean. At the end of the week, if one room is clean and one room isn't, and I give 10 bucks to the one that is, and I don't give 10 bucks to the one, that's not me being a respecter of persons. That's me following through on a promise that I made and honoring their decision. I'm actually honoring, they chose, I don't want the $10 because I don't want to clean my room. That's not me making that decision for them. And sometimes we would look at God and say, well, how come you gave this to them, but not, not this to them? But the truth of the matter is he said, look, I'll reward everyone who diligently seeks me. So the, maybe sometimes it's not on him, and we've taken this thing and put it to where it's the anointing on people, or it's this, or that. Everyone is anointed. Every single person who's in Christ is anointed by the Spirit of God. Some people just understand, believe, and walk in a greater level of that, seek after him more diligently, and then receive more. And it's not unfairness on God's behalf when the one who diligently seeks him receives more than the one who doesn't. And, and so um, there was this thing I was thinking about, because, you know, for the last... Well, it's been 48, 49, 49 days today, I think. I've been, um, I've been st- sleeping at the hospital with my little girl who was in the, the car accident. And, and there's been this prayer that me and Patty have prayed and that's been in my heart the whole time we've been there. And it was that I, I got, I, and just being honest, I, I hate what we're dealing with right now. I hate the fact that there was that car accident. I hate the fact that it did the damage that it did to my little girl. I hate the fact that it put her in the hospital. I hate the fact that I have to sleep there every night with her while Patty sleeps at home with Jackson and our family's been split apart like that. I don't like that. But God, if I have to be here, don't let this time be wasted. And, and, and I was thinking about how you can have a season and you could, I could write this off as a, as a wilderness 
And I could write this time off and just say, well, this is just one of those dark seasons where God obviously wants to strip something from me. And I'm not saying we don't ever go through seasons where God wants to take something from us or prune something from us like he talked about in that scripture. We'll get back to that in a second maybe. But, but can I just say this, that, that when we read about a wilderness experience in the Bible, more often than not, the people who went into the wilderness that were led there by God were led there so he could give them something rather than take something from them. It says that John the Baptist received the word of the Lord while he was in the wilderness. He was led out into the wilderness, and, 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 and he was brought there not so that he could be miserable and depressed and tell everybody, I'm just going through a wilderness season. And this is one of those terms that I feel like has gotten pretty popular in church circles. I've heard it more and more over the past three, four years, where people will write off a season of depression or a season of anxiety or a season where they're not actually seeking the Lord wholeheartedly, but they call it a desert season or a wilderness season because it feels better than to say, you know, I'm just actually kind of being slack and not seeking the Lord like I should be. Come on, and I'm not saying this to scold. I'm saying to encourage us so that we never find ourselves in that place and never give ourselves permission because the worst thing we can do is spiritualize dysfunction. When we give a, a, a flashy name to dysfunction and legitimize it and give it permission to be in our lives, we are ensuring that the very thing we need, which is to know this is not what he's called me to, we lack, and so we've stayed there longer than we should and experienced things that he maybe never intended for us to experience. The children of Israel went through a 40-year wilderness experience that was horrible. It was never supposed to be that. Never. He never intended for them to wander in the desert for 40 years. He brought them away from where they were because he wanted to give them something. He wanted to give them himself. He said, come up on the mountain today, and I will speak with you, and they'll know me. And I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. He didn't bring them into the wilderness to strip things from them as much as he brought them into the wilderness to give them himself so that where they were going, they would be equipped to live and enjoy the blessing that he had for them. They turned it into 40 years of wandering by, the Bible says, by disobedience and by not mixing faith. It says they received the same gospel which we received, but they didn't mix the hearing of the word with faith. And so they wandered, they suffered, and his people perished for a lack of knowledge, then it was not his will for them to die after 40 years of wandering in the desert. It was his will for them to come into the desert, to be alone with him, to receive the revelation of who he was, to understand his heart for them, to believe that they were his people and he would be their God, to know that whenever he called them to, to a fight in the promised land, that he would go before them. It's all he wanted them to do was trust him and obey him. That's all he ever wanted. He just wanted them to know him and him to know them and them to be together so that when they went into the promised land, they would know him the way he wanted them to so they wouldn't fear, they wouldn't turn around, and they wouldn't be found trembling when they stood in front of a land full of giants because they knew the one who was with them. If the wilderness is meant to strip things, then ask ourselves this. When Jesus was led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness, what was it that Jesus needed to be stripped away from him? What dark place of the soul? Now, come, we say these things, though. You know, I'm just in a dark season right now. You know, it's just kind of a desert, dry side of the soul. Well, what is that? Where do we find that in the Word? Where do we find any time where someone was led out? David gets led out into the wilderness, into the caves. Why? God's teaching him to trust him and to obey him. He's preparing him so that when he sits on the throne, he's the man he needs to be to rule over his people. He didn't go into the desert to have stuff stripped from him. He went into the desert to receive. 
Paul gets sent to the desert in Arabia for three years. He said, I took it upon myself to be taught by no man, but to learn from Jesus Christ himself. He said in the book of Galatians, he says, for three years I went to Arabia. Most people believe he went to a desert in Arabia. He said, and there I received what? He received the new covenant. John even gets exiled to the island of Patmos. This wasn't even God's plan for him. But God says, listen, if they're going to send you to a desert island where you have nothing, I'll meet you there and I'll bring you to heaven and I'll give you the revelation. Come on, what, what excuse do we have for them? Why are we legitimizing or saying, well, you know, it's just, I'm just being pruned right now by God. Do you understand that this word prune here doesn't mean hacked down to a stump to be left miserable? It doesn't mean that. That word prune there actually comes from a root word that means cleanse or purge. The King James actually has it better when it says uh, um, those that, uh, get ahead of myself, every branch that bears fruit, he purges, purgeth it so that it may bear more fruit. It says he cleanses it. So the idea that God has for, for pruning is not so much that any place in my life that, that things are going good, I better be careful because he's going to come along and hack them off and then leave me a miserable stump, and then I'll just tell everybody that walks by, I'm just being pruned right now. Don't look at me. I know I'm ugly. I know that I'm, I don't have anything, but I'm just being pruned, and one day it'll be better. It's actually the idea that there's things like a tree will have a branch that's infected, and, and a, wise, a wise vine dresser will come along and they'll see that there's an infection in this branch and they don't want that infection to spread to the rest of the tree and they certainly don't want it spreading to the rest of the trees around them. So they cut off just the part that's infected so that the tree won't waste its time trying to push life to something where there is no life and will actually spend its energy pushing life to the places where there's supposed to be fruit and where it's growing. And he's cutting things off and cleaning things. And you know this because the next thing he says to the disciples is he says, and you are already clean because of the word I I spoke to you. He says, listen, everything that every branch that abides in him that bears fruit, everyone. And then he said, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. So this is kind of both sides of the coin. If you abide in him, you'll bear fruit. And every uh, branch that abides in him that bears fruit, he cleans. So in other words, anybody who's living their life in Christ is going to be bearing fruit. And anybody that's bearing fruit, he's going to come along and make sure that there's anything in your life with the word of God, he cleanses that out of your life. It's not him coming along and chopping something, you down to nothing to reduce you, to leave you there as a pitiful stump. It's him coming along and saying, you're bearing fruit, and there's an area right here where there's some unhealth, and I want to remove that off of your life so that it doesn't spread to the rest of your life because I want to see you bear fruit because it brings glory to my Father who's in heaven. But this thing about the wilderness, it's been just, it's kind of been grating at me a little bit because I keep hearing this, well, you know, I'm just in a desert season. And I'm thinking, but yeah, but you know, there's, there's nowhere that we're called to a season to live in depression and spiritualize it and call it desert. I've never seen in the, in the word where God called anybody to an extended season of no joy, of no praise, of depression, of anxiety, of constant problem and constant uh, uh, awareness of, of there being something wrong for an extended period of time. I can't find that in the Bible. And then someone sent me a word the other night. Um, it was like from Isaiah, and they were just encouraging me with something. And so I just started reading in Isaiah once I read the scripture they sent me. And I came across, across this word um, in, 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 in Isaiah, and when I read it, I, I think I said it out loud. I was like, that's it. But it's like there's these things that you know are true, but you want to find Scripture because it's like, I don't want to just stand up here and say, I know that God showed me this without saying, and here's where he said it in his word. I want to be able to say, this is what God showed me, and this is what confirms it with the word. So now it's established by the mouth of two or three. And so I found it in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. It says this. It says, indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. When he's talking about Zion, he's talking about his people. 
You've been grafted in. That's part of that revelation that Paul received when he went away to the desert. Don't settle for three years in the desert like Paul without coming out with a revelation as powerful as the new covenant. Don't, don't settle for the thorn without asking God to give you something that is such a great revelation that you might need it to keep you humble. Because there's a lot of people who walk around saying, well, I guess this is my thorn like Paul that don't have a revelation that looks anything like his. Just throw that out there. But Paul, Paul came back from the desert with this revelation that we've now been grafted in, that we're part of his chosen people, and we've been adopted into the family of God. So when you hear him talking to Zion, this is actually him talking to you as his people. He says, indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and sound of a melody. He says, listen, if there is a place that is a desert, I'll make it like the Garden of Eden. If there is a place that you think is wasted, I'll, I'll be there and I'll comfort you. And suddenly you'll see that that place isn't wasted. This has been my prayer the whole time we've been at the hospital. Is God, I know that you're, you're, you're reinforcing things in me that I already believed, but I don't want to leave this season, God, just believing further what I already believed. I want to come out of here with something I didn't have when I came in. I don't want to just leave the desert the same as I came in. I want to leave here, God, with something more than I came in with. Because otherwise, it's a wasted season. Otherwise, it's a wasted time. And God, you waste nothing. But then I found this verse, and I realized that he promised, what is the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden is a place where man dwelt with God, where God caused everything to grow, where God pointed trees to bear fruit and plants to burst forth with leaves, where they had the presence of God, and he spent his time with the people. In the cool of the day, there was no tear. There was no thorn. That came with the fall. That wasn't part of the garden. He says, I'll take your wilderness and I'll make it a place where actually it brings forth life. Why? Because when you're in a wilderness with him, everything he touches bursts forth into life. So how can you even see it as a wilderness season anymore if there's a promise of God that anytime you find yourself in a wilderness, he'll meet you there and turn it into a garden full of life? All of a sudden now everyone's like, God, I want a wilderness. Because we, prom we believe that he's faithful and just to do what he said. And if he promised to turn your wilderness into a garden, then every time you look ahead of you and see nothing, that's what a wilderness is. It's a barren land that's empty and void. God says, everywhere that's empty and void, I'll fill it with my life. Why would we, listen, why would we ever give ourselves permission to be depressed, anxious, worried? These are things he told us not to be. Be anxious over nothing. Don't worry. You know, the same God that said, don't look at your brother with anger in your heart or you've committed murder said, don't worry about anything. We treat one as like a lofty ideal and the other as a command. I mean, some people do, not you guys, but there are people out there that treat like, don't worry as like, oh, geez, that's a lofty ideal that I'll never live up to. But don't look at your brother with hatred in your heart. Well, that's something God commanded of me. No, the same Lord commanded both with the same tone. And the same Lord actually expects both from us because he's given us his spirit and made it possible for us to live in a way that we don't have hatred in our heart and that we don't worry when we face something that would have caused us to worry before we had his spirit. And with the gift of grace comes the expectation of its use. You realize like he didn't just, he doesn't waste anything. He says, don't give pearls to swine. He's saying, don't give something of value to someone that can't value it. He didn't give you the grace to walk without worry, without actually expecting that you would use that grace so that you wouldn't worry. There's an expectation of use that comes with it. It's why he trusted you. Anything he entrusted you with, he expects that you're capable of stewarding well. That's why every parent can breathe a sigh of relief because if God placed that life into your hands, he thought that you were capable of stewarding that life and bringing it to be who he called them to be when he created them and knit them together in your womb. 
Every parent can breathe a sigh of relief and know that because he doesn't waste anything. But look what he says. He says, the Lord will comfort. Let's just take Zion because that makes it lofty and, and just means his people and bring that into the new covenant because now everyone has been grafted in and we're now his people. So now he's saying, the Lord will comfort you, me, his people. Just hear this as, as, as being prophetically declared to you because it is. The Lord will comfort his people. He'll comfort all your waste places. Your wilderness he'll make like Eden. Your desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in you. You were never called to a wilderness season devoid of joy and gladness. If you ever find yourself in a play where there, place where there's no joy and there's no gladness, it's not because he has failed to keep his promise. It's because there's something that we're not seeing in that season or because we've taken our eyes off of what is true and focused on the wilderness rather than the one who promised to be there in the middle of it with us. That's the only way you can find yourself in a place with no joy and no gladness, no matter how hard the season is. And look, real things happen. This isn't to say that everything that happens is good. And this isn't to say that everything that happens is even what he wanted. He's not in heaven grabbing steering wheels and slamming cars together. That came with the fall. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where things happen that we can't explain, where we see things, where sad things happen, where real things happen to us, and they're hard to deal with, and sometimes they hurt, and, and we don't understand, and, and the best we can do is say, you know, I'm not sure about that. But if we take our eyes off of the promises that he's made, we'll find ourselves living in a place that we were only supposed to meant to walk through. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. He didn't say anything about pitching your tent and living there. You've never been called to a valley that you're supposed to stay in. You're only walking through, and he's with you anyways. And if he promised that he would make that dry place like the Garden of Eden, then suddenly you can take him at his word, and you can say, God, you know what? Right now I feel like I'm in a wilderness, and there's a promise in your word that says that you'll make life burst forth there. And God, I don't want to leave this wilderness until I see the life that you've promised burst forth. God, I don't want to leave here. Listen, Jesus leaves the, listen to what it says. It says in John chapter 4, verse 14, 14, talking about Jesus coming out of the wilderness. I'm just going to close up with this stuff, and then we're going to go do some baptism. It's going to be awesome. Um, it says, John, John chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He went into the desert and into the wilderness. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, and he left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. God never intended for you to enter into a wilderness for you to leave it without receiving something from him while you're there. John the Baptist goes into the wilderness and comes out with the revelation, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Come on. That's amazing. And then he says this. He says, joy and gladness will be found in her. Now, all these things are God's responsibility, right? He says, the Lord will comfort Zion. In other words, it's his responsibility to comfort you. He said he would do it. You don't have to comfort yourself. You just have to know the one who said he would. Then he says he will comfort all her waste places. Then you realize nothing's wasted because he's able to touch everything. And even if you went through a season where you felt like you wasted time, just say you went through a week of your life that you felt like you wasted. If we actually find him in there and we learn something and we come out of there with something, you can go find seven people that maybe were going to be making the same mistake and you can keep them from wasting a week of their lives. And suddenly seven days that you thought were wasted turns into 49 days of being redeemed in the life of seven other people because it's all for the kingdom anyway. Nothing's wasted. If we seek him, nothing is wasted. And he says, he will make, in her wilderness, he will make like Eden. This is his responsibility. Now, just because he said he would do it doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
This is him saying, he has no problem making conditional promises. Remember, uh, we were singing like, you know, he calls me to be his friend. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends, and you are my friends if you do what I ask of you. He has no problem making a conditional promise. And their condition on this here is that we're seeking him, and that in this time, we're not taking our eyes off of the fact that he has promised these things and allowing our wilderness season to dictate how we're doing. So he promises that he'll do this. Then he says, her desert we made like a, gar- like a garden of the Lord, and joy and gladness will be found in her. But now we come to two things that are actually our responsibility in the middle of a desert season or a wilderness time. Thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. Do you know that God can't be thankful for you? You ever told your kids to say thank you for something? Say thank you, thank you. Did that come from a heart of thankfulness, or was it because you told them to? Now imagine if you actually opened their mouth and made the words for them. How thankful would that be? Thanksgiving is something that we give to him as a result of what he's done for us. That's our responsibility. He says, and sound of a melody. That means the sound of a song. There will be joy and gladness found in you in these seasons, so much so that there will actually be a thankfulness inside of you, and it will burst forth and manifest in the sound of a song. You might say that you don't sing. You you should. Maybe not in a microphone. (laughs) Look, look, the Lord had no problem saying, bring forth the skilled musicians. He wasn't worried about your feelings getting hurt because he thought that maybe you'd understand if you weren't a skilled musician, he had something else for you to do rather than spending your life being mad that you weren't one of them. But everybody can sing. And if... If we find ourselves in a season that we're calling a wilderness, there should be an expectation. Okay, God, if I'm here, then make this for something. God, if I'm here, be who you said that you would be. God, if I look right now and I see nothing, I get excited because you said anywhere that there was an empty space, you would make it like the garden. You would come and do this. So I just want to ask you, like, because, you know, this happens. See, if we're not careful, these church terms get spent, thrown around. And you know what? Sometimes it feels good to just pity ourselves a little bit. It does. It feels good to say, you know, I'm just kind of in a desert season right now. It's just kind of a dark side. God's really just just ripping things from me. Well, maybe there's some things he wants to take from you, but I would be more inclined to think there's some things he wants to give you. Because he said you're destroyed by the lack of knowledge. It was the lack that was destroying. Meaning the answer is to receive something. And so if, if, if you've found yourself there and you've given yourself permission, maybe to live with less than joy and gladness, maybe with less than thanksgiving and a song on your lips, and called it a desert or called it a wilderness or called it you know, a dark night of the soul or whatever you've called it. I just want to read this to you, but I want you to just acknowledge that. Is there anybody in here who maybe has just given themselves permission that, yeah, it's okay, like... Listen, this stuff happens because you know what, ha- what happens is with good hearts, people will tell people these things and it feels good for someone to say, oh, there's nothing wrong. I'm just in a wilderness and there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just in a season. God must want me here because of, no, listen, he has no intention of bringing you off to be alone without giving you more of who he is and making you more like his son. So is there anyone here? Just hold your hands up where I can see it real quick. Yeah, keep them up for a second. And there was a bunch of people in first service. All the people that are in the wilderness were in the first service. So there was a lot of them. Is there anyone else? Come on, keep your hands up for a second because I want to declare something to you and I want to read this to you and I want, yeah, this, 
More and more people are like, oh, I guess I won't be the only one, and they raise their hand up. Yeah, there you go. Oh, look at that. That shook two more loose from the tree. (laughs) I'll just keep shaking until all the fruit falls. So what I want you to do is, if that was you, I want you to hear this as the Lord speaking this to you, because it's a prophetic declaration out of the mouth of his prophet Isaiah that is just as true for you today as it was for the people that were there alive the day he spoke it. And I'm going to just personalize this to you. So indeed, the Lord will comfort you. He'll comfort all your waste places. He'll comfort you, meaning that he'll be something for you in those places that brings comfort to you. And maybe where you're at is positioned by God so that he can be for you what he's never been able to be for you before. So that you can see a new side of his face, a new side of his heart that you didn't ever experience or never understand. In your wilderness, he'll make like Eden. Eden was a place of perfection, full of his presence, his promise, his peace, and the fruit that he ordained to grow in the places he ordained it to grow. There was no thorn. There was no tear. There was no death. There was no sickness. There was no lack. This is, this is God. I, went, I can't take credit for this. this was, he spoke this thousands of years ago through his prophet. In your desert, and make like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in you. Joy and gladness will be found in you. And thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. God, I just pray right now that every person hearing my voice or that will hear my voice that feels like they're in a wilderness would begin to expect to see your hand and see your life burst forth. God, that we would never settle for a season of wilderness without contending for the revelation or the deposit that you wanted to make in us. God, that if you brought Jesus into the desert for 40 days for him to leave filled with and empowered by the Spirit, then you haven't brought us in a desert for us to come out the same. If you brought your people into a desert for them to know you and know your heart for them, you've never brought us into a desert to wander and die there. God, that even when people meant it for evil and they they banished John to the Isle of Patmos, you saw that as an opportunity that while he was alone in this wilderness season, you could bring him into your very presence in heaven and give him the revelation of Jesus Christ. God, that when John the Baptist was alone with you, eating locusts and honey and having dreadlocks and wearing a camel skin, that you showed him who your son was. And you put a word in his mouth for him to declare that would change a generation. God, that when David was chased by an evil king into the caves and into the wilderness, you met him there. And you showed him who you are. And you gave him a heart like yours. And you prepared him to be a king. And you brought him out and placed him on a throne. God, I pray that we would never settle for a wilderness of our own without expecting to see you do the same thing for us that you've done for everyone else. God, I pray that we would never, ever spiritualize dysfunction or sin. That we would just continually, God, seek you and continually believe that you do what you say and you will be who you promise to be. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.